0: Today on Liberty Talks Podcast, we're going to be talking about the Nevada Caucuses, the Democrats, why socialism sucks, and then we're also going to be giving you a quick book review. Welcome to Liberty Talks Podcast, where the crossroads of conservatism and libertarianism meet. To identify our everyday problems with real-world solutions. Peace, prosperity, liberty, and the American way. That's Liberty Talks.
1: Alright, so thanks for listening. So Michael, let's jump right into it. And the first thing that I want to talk about is this caucus in Nevada that we just had last night where Bernie Sanders just swiped, just swiped the competition. I mean, it was I mean, it was no competition. It was pretty sad. I, I think it's clear who's going to win the nomination now, or who, at least who the uh, front runner is for this race. Well what do you think?
0: Oh yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, um, yesterday when I got off of work, it was about six o'clock, and they already had Bernie winning. Uh, big step up from Iowa, right. if I must say. Yeah. <laughs> <myself>. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I was I was really shocked um, to see this, and uh, you know, it's like you said, Bernie is pretty much on the track to become the Democratic nominee at this point. So um, and it, the funny part about it is really how the media reacted to it, because the media wasn't just like Bernie Sanders won, Bernie Sanders won. Essentially, all the media outlets were saying, who can stop Bernie Sanders? Can we stop Bernie Sanders? It was all like, you know, kind of a backhanded compliment to him, even though he was the front runner. You know, and
1: I, I, mean, I know everyone's been saying this, but it does remind me of 2016 election when uh, the media and the Republican establishment was going crazy over Trump. Because Trump was a big middle finger to the media and to the establishment. And that really scared a lot of people. And I see a lot of the same things going on now, except with a few differences. Uh, Because Bernie Sanders, he's different from Donald Trump in that he's an actual communist. uh, who's Who's never disavowed any socialist idea in his life. Who has never had a bad thing to say about a communist dictatorship. And it's actually really scary that this is the person the Democrats want to nominate.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's very reminiscent of 2016 with Trump. Um, and, and Bernie is, is very similar to, the you know, President Trump or candidate Trump when he was running in 2016. Uh, I feel as if like a lot of Democrats feel the same way. They want to give a middle finger to the system. They want to uh, kind of say we're tired of, you know, getting these generic dims. And I mean, look at the rest of the field. Anyways, there's not much any. there's not really much competition for Bernie. Anyways,
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so you're probably wondering why I'm staring at my computer the entire time. And this is because I'm actually on 270 to win. And I'm actually compiling a map of the states that are in play and the states that are not if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. And yours was actually pretty impressive. Bernie Sanders is so radical and he's so off-putting to a lot of people. He actually puts a lot of states back into play and he takes some states out of play. So states that are pretty much guaranteed to be out of play if Bernie is the nominee, Iowa... Ohio and Florida. So they're going to be solid Republican states. They've been trending red for years now. And even Democrats aren't even focusing on them anymore. Apparently, Democrats don't even care about Florida, from what I've heard. They, uh, and it's because Florida has a big Cuban population, uh, refugee population, very anti socialist because they went through Fidel Castro. And that's not really surprising. But so, so here's the thing with these states that are not in play, that are going, that are almost certainly going to go to Bernie Sanders. Uh, It's 168 electoral votes. For the states that are not in play that are definitely going to go to Donald Trump, it's 259 electoral votes. Now, this leaves the states of Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New Hampshire, and Maine all in play. Uh, Probably the least of that being Maine. Wait,
0: wait, wait. Are you trying to say that Bernie Sanders is not going to win Texas?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. He's definitely not <laughs> going to win Texas. Uh, so Bernie Sanders sent out a tweet that he's definitely going to win Texas in the election, the general election, not in the primary, in the general election. He's going to beat Trump in Texas.
0: Yeah, I think which, the tweet was like, don't don't tell Donald Trump, but we're going to beat him in Texas. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, OK, just. Keep dreaming. I mean, socialists like to dream big. Oh, so. yeah.
0: I mean, especially if you just compare it to, you know, the Beto versus Cruz election. Right. I mean, like Beto wasn't even as far left as Bernie is. Right. I mean, obviously, he's gotten a lot more far left uh, running for president. But I mean, the argument was really simple in Texas. Cruz simply just said, do you want big government or do you want um, small government? You know, do you want a limited government? Do you want socialism or do you want constitutionalism? And I mean, Texas obviously picked limited government and constitutionalism, and that's not going to change. Yeah,
1: that's never going to change. But I, I just write off all those states that are going to be in play and potential swing states. Well, here's the amazing thing: that is one, two, three, four, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 potential swing states, which leaves 111 electoral votes up for grabs. And here's the crazy part: Trump only needs to win one of out of one out of half those states to win the election. If he wins Minnesota, he wins. If he gets Wisconsin, he wins. And by, by the way, he's pulling at plus 11 in Wisconsin right now. If he gets Michigan, he wins. If he gets Pennsylvania, he wins. Virginia, he wins. Any of them. I mean, this is pretty much a landslide for Donald Trump. New Jersey, he wins. The only states he does not win, if he picks up, is Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, New Hampshire, and Maine. But So this is actually a pretty scary map for Democrats to look at. Because this is one of these, this is If Bernie Sanders is the nomination, it's going to be a very, very difficult path to victory for them. And I'm usually not an optimistic guy. I'm not the person who's out there saying, "Well, there's some big silent majority out there ready to vote." Mm, I, I don't think it really shows up that much. <laughs> I don't think that really materializes. But Trump is at sitting at 259 electoral votes are pretty much guaranteed to him. That means he just needs 11 electoral votes to win.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Democrats are already making this argument. Um, if I'm being honest, I mean, it, the first thing I saw after, you know, looking at the uh, the news after seeing Bernie Sanders won was Pete Buttigieg of all people saying, um, "Hey, look, Democrats, uh, Bernie's not going to win. Like, we needed to let, take a sober look at this election and figure out the best way to beat Donald Trump." And uh, I think a lot of the other Democrats are making that same argument that, uh, hey, look, why pick a person that turns off not only Democrats, but the majority of Americans? And, you know, the word socialism, people think it's really popular, but I don't think it's going to be very popular in, you know, a presidential election. Well, I think
1: in the most recent Quinnipiac polls, the word socialism has been got about a 15 to 20% approval rating in the US. Uh, which is not good for Bernie Sanders and the <laughs> Democrats. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, we're definitely going to have to see how this plays out. Uh, even though Bernie's definitely the weakest nominee to Trump, he is the most scariest. I probably am alone on this, but I think I'd rather have... Well, I don't know. What do you think? Would you rather have a Joe Biden presidency or a Bernie Sanders uh, candidacy? Just because, even though Bernie Sanders is likely, likely to lose, radicalizing about 40% of the population around a socialist who has never said a bad thing about any communist dictatorship ever. Uh, Seems like a pretty scary thought to me.
0: Yeah, I would say uh, I'm, I'm very fearful of a Bernie Sanders nomination, much less a Bernie Sanders presidency. Now, the good thing about it would be that Uh, Sanders really wouldn't get a lot of the things that he's pushing for done because Republicans still have control of the Senate. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something that Democrats, even such as like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and socialists, are telling the Democrats like, hey, don't worry about Medicare for all because he's not going to get it done. They're essentially making the argument that Bernie's going to fail even though he has all these plans. They're not going to get done. So what's the point of even voting for Bernie Sanders if like if he cannot even get these things done that he's proposing?
1: Yeah, exactly. And he he's talking about this revolution, but now they're trying to downplay the revolution. Like, we're gonna have a revolution, but maybe not. <laughs> Though we might have one. But the the only good thing I can see out of a Bernie Sanders' candidacy, let's say Trump wins Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New Hampshire, and Maine. Well, that that leaves Trump with three hundred and seventy. Electoral votes, which is the actually exact amount of number you ha- you need, to have a landslide victory because you need a hundred electoral votes plus two seventy.
0: Practically, that'd be that uh, Reagan landslide.
1: Uh, no Reagan, almost, almost, yeah, practically, you almost. Know, Like
0: it, it, you wipe out your opponent in such yeah. a bad way that you. I mean, you could do one of two things. You know, it could it could wipe away this idea of socialism in America, or mm-hmm. it very well could you know right. have the Democrats look and see. What are they doing wrong? Go back to the drawing board and then start investing more time and energy into getting their progressive and probably more welfare state policies passed rather than socialism. Well, I, the two things I can see if this happens is
1: they either say, you know what? We went too far. We went socialist. We were way out of line with the American people. We went too far out of step. We need to end this stuff. Uh, or... They can say what they've done every single time they have lost an election is say we weren't radical enough. Is because we weren't we weren't radical enough is the reason that we lost. But honestly, Trump beats them that bad. That's unlikely to happen. But there is a lot of good news for Trump in that if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, it does put a lot more states back in play. Other good news in the uh, British election just about a month ago. Uh, Conservative Party completely blew out the Labour Party, which made it practically a one party country uh and generally american elections follow british elections ever since about the 1980s right uh any any time anything's ever happened in a british election the almost the same exact thing happened in the american election every single time
0: yeah and i mean they you know what does trump have going for him well the impeachment helped him out the economy is helping him out the only way that trump could just have an abysmal showing is if the economy goes under, which I mean, you never really know, especially coronavirus out there right now. Exactly, that's that's really a big concern for you know conservatives like you and myself uh, looking at this election. But he has a lot of stuff going for him, and if Bernie Sanders is in fact the nominee, we are looking at a probably a pretty easy twenty twenty election for Republicans. Yeah, but this is I don't think Republicans should be excited
1: about this because it's important to know Democrats were excited that Trump was the nominee. And they got exactly what they asked for and they lost.
0: Yes. Um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah. like, it it's very reminiscent of Trump in 2016. So at the same time, that's why I say, you know, this Bernie Sanders uh, nomination or possible Bernie Sanders presidency is very, very, I mean, I'm very fearful of that because you never really know. Like you said, you know, the Democrats in 2016 were cheering him on. Essentially, the media practically gave him, you know, a ton of free advertising just to get him to become the nominee. Well... Now the Republicans are saying that about Bernie Sanders. So what if he actually does come out swinging and flips the country blue?
1: Yeah. And that that could be like complete worst case scenario. And, and it's important to know the country is always just one election away from turning into a, ple- a complete blank hole. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why we should all be scared of a Bernie Sanders nomination. But if you know, some people who are not scared of a Bernie Sanders nomination, these, uh, Quote-unquote, principled conservatives. Now, you might be wondering, what's a principled conservative? So, I thought I was a
0: principled conservative.
1: Yeah, well, I got news for you. You're not a principled conservative, according to people like Joe Wash and Bill Kristol. You know Uh, why? You know why? Why? Because you might vote for Trump. And if you vote for Trump, you have no good reason to vote for Trump. Never. Never a good reason. If you vote for Trump, it's because you sold your soul to the devil. And it's because you abandon all your principles, and that's why all these principal conservatives like Joe Walsh and Bill Crystal and all of them, that's why they're voting for Bernie Sanders. I don't
0: think that's exactly how the tweet went. <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> I think you did capture the essence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he did say, though, was uh, he said, I would vote for socialism over, get this, authoritarianism. Joe Walsh said this. This is completely idiotic. Mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't want to tell you this, but socialism is... Is authoritarianism. (laughs) Yeah, so it's completely crazy that
1: Trump has fried these people's brains. Because (laughs) how how could you not think socialism is not authoritarianism? Like, okay, so I'm just going to read some of these tweets. Uh, So Greg Price responds, you are stupid. Fact check true. (laughs) Arthur Schwartz, you're dumber than a box of rocks. Read a book, moron. Fact check true. Carmine Sabia, socialism is totalitarianism. You are not even you anymore. This is the worst case of grifting I've ever seen. Uh, Tom Nichols, especially when it has zero chance of passing Congress, the you'd vote for socialism guys are trying to solve their consciences. <laughs> David Wall, Joe is afflicted with stage four TDS. <laughs> that's probably the best one. Yeah. Fact check, true. Fact check, true. And so that's just a crazy tweet. But it's because Joe Walsh. He truly has given up all of his principles because he hates Trump so much. And his criticism of people back in twenty sixteen is by voting for Trump, they're giving up their principles. Now he's going to vote for a socialist because he hates Trump so much.
0: These people really don't make a lick of sense. Yeah, I mean, like y- y- you said, a principled conservative. I mean, even even libertarians are not making this argument. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. vote third party. Like, why would you? Why if you're gonna if you're not gonna if you hate Trump so much, why would you vote for socialism? Why not just? Not vote or vote third party. You're really going to vote for a socialist.
1: Exactly. It's not a binary election. There are other parties running. If you really hate Trump and you really hate Bernie Sanders, you don't have to vote for them. But, vote and Supreme, Joe Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe Walsh is, of course, making the case that no, Trump is so bad. He's like Hitler. So we have to vote for Stalin. Yikes. Like... Joe Wash and he's smarter than this. I've met Joe Wash. You, have you
0: met him? I haven't, but I, I did at one point have a great deal of respect for him. He did. He did even um, endorse uh, Austin Peterson for his Senate election, um, which I thought was great. And I really enjoyed his uh, his radio program at a certain time. I thought he really made a lot of you know common sense conservative arguments. And he's he's just all over the place now.
1: Yeah, it's just complete fall from grace. Um. So Joe washed Bill Crystal. These people are done. Especially it's sad people like Bill Crystal because his father was Irving Crystal, who did help bring in the idea that uh, that morality should be separate from politics. But that capitalism isn't a placeholder for morality. That you need a Judeo Christian moral set to keep capitalism alive. His Irving Crystal is the one that came up with that. Now his son Bill Crystal is about to vote for a socialism, uh, for a socialist. So, uh, these,
0: these never Trump conservatives are really insane. I mean, I don't see how you can go all four years and still be on this anti-Trump train. I mean, even myself as, as like a libertarian, I was, I was a never Trump conservative. I disavowed Trump so much and I really don't see any way of me not voting for the president now. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like people like Ben Shapiro the same way. He was a never Trumper in 2016, Mm -hmm. but if you're and if you're an honest conservative, or if you're, a, as these people call themselves, a principled conservative, then there's no, then you have to, you can't say that every single thing Trump has done is bad. Because uh, Trump has done a lot of good things for conservatism. He has done, it hasn't all been good for conservatism. He's blown out the budget. He has tur- kind of turned the Republican Party into a big government party. But he's also done a lot of good things for conservatism. And not recognizing that is not being principled.
0: It's it's just like the left. I mean, it's stage four uh, Trump derangement syndrome, right? I mean, this is what the left does. They make up complete lies about the president. When you can easily criticize the president on many things, just criticize him on his record. Don't make up things. Don't over-exaggerate. Joe Walsh is a joke.
1: Yeah, he's become a joke. It's sad. It's really sad to see a lot of people fall from grace, see what they once were turn into just a complete Trump derangement syndrome. Lefty, I mean, really, at this point, are they really even different from the left?
0: I wouldn't say so. Yeah, We'll be right back. And we are back. So, John, um, let's go into, you know, the horrors of what socialism is. Yeah, so
1: it should be said that since the Democrats are about to elect an actual socialist, which... I mean, I, honestly, he's a communist. <laughs> Like, let's be honest. It's like what Bloomberg said, right? Yeah, and Bloomberg's exactly right, because even though Bernie Sanders likes to claim he's a democratic socialist, he is, in fact, a communist. He is not a democratic socialist. He is not like Norway, Denmark, or Sweden, because Norway, Denmark, and Sweden are capitalist countries with a gigantic social safety net. They
0: don't call themselves socialists. They hate the word socialist. They call themselves social democrat, And they also have, in recent years, even gotten less... Welfare state if for lack of better terms. They've actually started to cut taxes and introduce even more free market principles and more capitalist type of ideology there. Yeah, and they so. have very business-friendly uh,
1: rules and regulations. They have some of the lowest uh, business income uh, or corporate income taxes in the entire world. They have very, very strict immigration policies. So it's why right, they're social democrats because they know if they want this social welfare, welfare state – they have to cut in a lot of other places. They have to be pro-business friendly. Yeah, there's a difference between a social democrat and a democratic socialist. <laughs> All right, a social democrat is a democrat who doesn't believe in socialism, but believes in social programs. A democratic socialism is a communist who wants to sound like they're not a communist.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, not to say that having a, you know, a democrat that is just, that wants to expand the welfare state is much better. But, I mean, it's definitely not socialism. So, and, and so, to prove
1: our point on how bad socialism is, Ed, I'm going to read you some of the lists, that some of the countries that Bernie Sanders has openly supported in the past, has never recanted, and to this day has said great things about these countries. So, let's start with the Soviet Union. So, obviously, the Soviet Union became a country in 1917 when the Bolsheviks took over. Joseph Stalin pretty much led from there after Lenin died. And he created one of the worst genocidal countries in human history. So let's get right into it. So Joseph Stalin himself, complete crazy dictator. He signed over 60,000 death warrants in his lifetime. One thing he would do as premier of the Soviet Union is he would call up the leader of the Lublanka, which was the Soviet secret police, point at a random city on the map and say, I want you to kill 25,000 people in this city. I want you to purge them. Because uh, they're all uh, sympathizers with uh, anti-Soviet propaganda or, or something like this. And so the Lublanka to show how good they were and how loyal they were to the Communist Party, would go and kill 35,000 instead. Uh, and this happened frequently in the Soviet Union. Let's see what else. So uh, uh, approximately 800,000 prison, uh, political prisoners were executed under Stalin. Over a million died in the gulag from 1934 to 1953. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, the best estimates of gulag deaths being 1.6 million from 1929 to 1953. Just said that. Uh, about 6 million died in the gulag, in the gulags after they were released. Uh, so yeah, pretty garbage country. Guess what Bernie Sanders was doing in his 30s and 40s? He was out honeymooning and partying in the Soviet Union.
0: Yeah, it really speaks volumes that uh, Bernie cannot even come out and, you know, talk about the negative sides of these countries, much less Mm -hmm. just praise them for the quote unquote good sides. Mm -hmm. And these are just some of the Russians that died. Most of the people who died in the Soviet
1: Union were actually Ukrainian. So let's look at some of them. So when it comes to Crimean Tartars, uh, they were ethnically cleansed. Uh, The Soviet Union uh, committed genocide against them you might have heard against the Kulaks. Uh, the, when it comes to the Kulaks, they were just completely eradicated in the Great Purge. Uh, so, so those of you that don't know, the Great Purge was, when, it was from 1937 to 1938, in which Stalin purged anyone who could be a threat to the Soviet Union. And this included people that were old communist leaders who weren't in with the new communist ideas to people who scored high on their high school test. It could have been going from anywhere. Uh, all these people died. When it comes to the Kulaks, about a million of them were killed under Stalin, uh, and six hundred sixty-nine thousand nine hundred twenty-nine were uh, of their families were arrested. With over, with nearly four hundred thousand being executed, the Great Purge in Mongolia. Uh, we they and so the Great Purge in Mongolia. They killed somewhere between twenty-two to thirty-five thousand people. And they killed around 18,000 uh, B- uh, Buddhists. Let's talk about the Soviet killings during World War II. Because, you know, you, rightfully so, this, Nazi, Nazi Germany is usually looked at as the bad guy, the most evil of that war. And they were. But the Soviets were pretty evil too. So, in the in World War II, they killed over 150,000 Polish citizens due to Soviet repression. Don't forget that the Soviet Union was actually allied with Nazi Germany at the start of the war. What was known as the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, and the Soviet Union actually invaded Poland uh, with Nazi Germany uh, to help them out. Uh, at one point in the spring of 1940, uh, the Soviet Union executed 21,857 Polish POWs and, and intellectual leaders. And this this is a country Bernie Sanders went went to
0: and praised. Yeah, the, I mean, the uh, pretty much in, you know, under Stalin and in uh, Russia or the Soviet Union, pretty much anyone who dissented killed. Anyone who spoke against the government killed. And then not only that, but partnered with the Nazis. And I mean, this is stuff that you don't really hear about in the classroom or in college nowadays. Yeah. And
1: it's also one of the great failures of American education that you don't hear about this. And you don't hear about it much other places either. in and- Russia, Stalin, Lenin are still very well regarded. How about China?
0: There's something we also don't really learn about in our American history class or American... uh,
1: Yeah, our American history classes. (laughs) Well, let's look at China. 20 million died in Soviet Union's low end. And China is about 50 million. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So, the Chinese Communist Communist Party came to power in 1949 after they've been fighting against the Chinese Nationalists. And... So, in 1948 uh, Mao enslaved about one tenth of the peasants, or about 50 million, who would be destroyed to facilitate a grade reform. And Mao was actually quoted as saying they would have to be destroyed. The exact number of people during Mao's land reform, the amount of people who were killed during Mao's land reform, is believed to have been lower, but at least one million people were killed. This is pr- the suppression of counter-revolution. The suppression of counter-revolutionaries which targeted mainly Kuomintang officials, uh, was about
0: 712,000 executed while over a million were imprisoned in labor camps. And this really speaks volumes mm-hmm. to an ideology that's supposed to be lifting up the lower right. class.
1: And we're not just going to read statistics. We're going to tell you why this happens in every country that tries this. So the Great Leap Forward, one of the most destructive ideas in human history. Uh, the Chinese Great Leap Forward caused the Great Chinese Famine. Uh, and the amount of people that died in the Great Leap Forward, in which basically, so, so you know what the Great Leap Forward is, Mao decided to land in agricultural reform to create a more communal, communist, syndicalist style. And this led to at least 45 million people starving to death. This is just so you know how bad this was, and turns out it was more than 50 million killed. In a secret meeting at Shanghai in 1959, Mao issued the order to procure one third of all grain from the countryside, saying, When there is not enough to eat, people starve to death. It is better to let half of the people die so that the other half can eat their fill. In light of additional evidence of Mao's culpability, Rommel added that those killed by the Great Famine to his total for Mao's democide for a total of 77 million people killed. So 77 million people died in the Great Leap Forward alone, not throughout Mao's reign. Let's talk about cultural revolution in China. So... Is estimated seven hundred fifty thousand to one and a half million people were killed in the violence of the Cultural Revolution in rural China alone. Mao's Red Guards were given carte blanche to abuse and kill people who were perceived to be enemies of the revolution. Uh, in Tibet, not many people know this. In Tibet, the China committed genocide. So in Tibet, there was about ninety-two thousand deaths out of a total population of six million. So that's about one-sixth of the entire of the entire countryside killed. Wow. In Tiananmen Square, they killed about a 1,000 demonstrators. And right now, in China, happening today, there are concentration camps for Muslim Uyghurs, which we don't know how many are in there. And there's also concentration camps for any religious uh, people in China, including people who are Christians or Falun Gong practitioners.
0: Not Um, Not to mention what's happening in Hong Kong. I mean, we could see right before our eyes, and obviously Sanders doesn't really have anything to say about that either. Oh, he's never had anything to say about that. Interesting.
1: Uh, Let's go to Cambodia. So I'm going to go through this one a little bit quicker. But during the Cambodian Civil War, which led to the creation of the Khmer Rouge, uh, about 21 to 24 percent of the total Cambodian population uh, was killed by the Cambodian communists. Let's look at Bulgaria. In Bulgaria, about 50,000 to 100,000 people were killed in 1944 during the agricultural collectivization and 31,000 people were killed under the regime from 1944 to 1989. And so this is just a list of all the of all the communist countries or a bunch of them that have just led to terrible terrible deaths uh, throughout history and that's not even mentioning the other ones that Bernie Sanders has ex- openly expressed support of like the Sandinistas in Nicaragua and
0: Chavez and Maduro in Venezuela. It's a shame that uh you know so many people are supporting a guy that you know, will support socialism and they'll, he'll point out the great parts about these or the great parts about these countries. But in the end, he doesn't have a word to say about these millions of deaths. And that's almost the scariest part about it.
1: Mm-hmm. And When it comes down to it, over 100 million people in the 21st century alone were killed through socialism. And so with that, we're going to let you digest that. And we're going to go on break.
0: And we are back. So before the break, John, we were speaking about the statistics and the death toll that communism and socialism has had on the world. And in just about every country that um, has tried out socialism and communism. But let's get into the moral reasons why socialism is adhorrent. Right. Because in the end, it's sad to say, but
1: a lot of people don't care about the statistics, how many people died, because they think that it just wasn't tried correctly. They would have done it right. Not that many people would have died. Let me tell you why it was tried correctly, and let Michael tell you why it was tried correctly. Because it is based off very certain premises, and these premises will always lead to the same results every time. So the first thing, socialism and communism is based off of envy. It is not a system that creates wealth. It is a system that
0: says that person has wealth, and that wealth should be mine. Not only that, it's not just based off envy, but it's also based on violence. A communist, a Marxist, a socialist, their ideology is inherently violent. And it's like you said, based off envy. So the idea of the revolution is in fact saying, okay, this person has more stuff than me. They haven't committed a crime. They haven't violated any rights. They have more stuff. So therefore, I'm justified in killing them and taking their stuff. It all starts with a violent revolution. And
1: I know some of you are saying, oh, well, they're just trying to mislead or misinform about what Bernie Sanders actually believes no. Ask Bernie Sanders. I mean, no one will ask him, but ho- hopefully someone will ask him. Hopefully Trump will bring it up during the debates. If Bernie gets his, so- his socialist revolution, what happens? People say no. Seriously, what's going to happen? It's just like what happens when you say no to taxes. You're going to get a gun in the face. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's going to end every time, because we might be willing to pay our taxes, but we're not going to be willing to give up our entire livelihood to Bernie Sanders. So let's, so let's go to the next thing. Uh, well, one of the biggest misconceptions about socialism is that it is the redistribution of wealth. This is untrue. It is not the redistribution of wealth. It is the redistribution of misery. All right. There has never been a government program
0: in the history of the world that redistributed wealth and made people's lives better. Yeah, I mean, you, you really hit the nail on the head with the redistribution of misery because it's not about um, helping people. It's literally about taking everyone down a peg and then just lowering the status of everyone in society. Or essentially that's what happens when you deep read, when you in fact do redistribute wealth. Think of it this way
1: in the 1940s and 1930s during the great depression, Franklin D Roosevelt created the new deal and created all these government programs to help people get out of debt. Uh, Well, it actually increased the great depression by all the new studies coming out and look at the great society programs under Lyndon B. Johnson Created more government programs to help poor people. And those people who are on the Great Society programs are still poor today. Why haven't they been brought out of poverty? The answer is because redistribution does not enrich. And it does not create more wealth. It keeps people in the same exact position they were. Except for those who was taken from. It brings them down. It brings
0: people down and also um, it also keeps people dependent on the government. And it's it. And when you have dependency, you're also changing the people's state of minds because they think it's okay to be dependent on the government rather than wanting to seek, you know, success, seek the American dream, seek prosperity. They just continue living day by day in their same in the same state rather than trying to seek, you know, uh, success. The next reason
1: socialism does lead to the destruction of rights. It's a philosophy based on the idea that you have to crack a couple eggs to make an omelette. What socialism will do is they'll say, you have something that you do not earn, and therefore we're going to take it from you. You're going to say, no, that's my property. And what the socialists will say is, no, that belongs to everyone now. If you don't get over, give it over, we're going to stick a gun in your face and kill you. So destruction of
0: property rights, destruction of liberty rights, and destruction of the right to life. And this is really what, what we were saying earlier, how it's based upon envy and violence, because it's like you have something, and therefore, because you have something and I don't, I'm entitled to it, and because I'm entitled to it, I can use violence to take it from. you.
1: It's also based on one of the worst ideas in history, an idea going all the way back to the French Revolution, the idea that humans are naturally good beings. Okay, this is a natural idea that is in direct conflict with what capitalism, liberty, and the American founding says. in that humans are are based on bad ideas. Or that humans are not good. Humans are more prone to evil than they are towards good. Here's the problem with this. If you believe that humans are more prone to good. Then whenever someone does something that's not good. It's because they're not human anymore. And so if they're not human anymore. Then they don't actually have rights. And you can justify doing something bad to them and taking away their livelihood. Whereas if you base your uh, your entire idea of society that humans are evil, then you're never surprised by it and you create a system in which minimizes the amount of rights that will be uh, taken and the amount of rights that will be infringed upon. But when you go that route of saying all humans are good and you want to make not just an idea set but a government set on that, you are creating a system that will lead to the idea that that the only humans that are not good are people that are not actually human. And
0: since it's not human, we could take their rights away. It's, it's essentially what you're saying is you're being able to easily dehumanize people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, humans are imperfect creatures, just like every other being out there. And there's no reason to think that humans are inherently good or that they will do good just because.
1: And I mean, look at the 20th century alone. More people died in the 20th century than uh, any other century in history. There's n- there's no getting around that. It also really cuts against the idea that <laughs> as we get more advanced in technology and more quote unquote civilized, more progressive, right? yeah, more progressive, we become better. No, it's it's not true. We we actually become worse in a lot of ways. We can we can become better in a lot of ways, and we can come, become
0: worse in a lot of ways. And and this is essentially why socialism or communism leads to massive death. And so these are some of the moral
1: reasons why socialism is evil, objectively evil, objectively wrong. Uh, so if you have any questions about that, you can always uh, reach out to us on LibertyTalks.net. We can tell you some more
0: things about that. We can give you more stats about that. Feel but, free to tweet us. Tweet mm-hmm. John, call him a neocon. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. At Real John Douglas and right. at Michael for Freedom, Michael the number for Freedom. Mm-hmm. But the last thing we want to do for a sign-off tonight is we want to do kind of a book review. Yeah, speaking uh, of this, you know, dystopian idea, might as well speak of a dystopian book. Mm-hmm. So right here we have the book
1: Brave New World. So Brave New World is written in, I think, the 1920s or 30s around there by Aldous Huxley. It is. I'll set it right here. Stay. <laughs> Get it back right over
0: there. There you go. Yes,
1: yeah, so we'll put it back there. All right, so. Brave New World is written by Aldous Huxley, and it is based on the idea that there is one world super state in which complete socialization of society has uh, take uh, has happened throughout the past hundred or so years. The All references to religion and God have been destroyed. The only reference they have to that is Henry Ford, who they look at as one of the progenitors of the Industrial Revolution and kind of look at him as godlike. Um, and it really shows what happens whenever you go complete completely hundred percent secular and abandon all foundational ideas of right and wrong, good and evil.
0: Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, a lot of this book is also just about um, stimulus or stimuli, essentially, you know, using chemicals and, uh, you know, practices to, to make you feel better, um, giving into pleasure rather than, you know, logic and morality. Mm-hmm. And it's a,
1: it's exactly that. So uh, for one, all children are born from test tubes. So that that means their only parent is the state. And so they grow up learning that their only parent is the state. When it comes to complete promiscuity, one of the worst things you can do is have a single sexual partner. You're supposed to engage in orgies whenever you can. You are only supposed to engage people in your class. So the society is divided into alphas, betas, deltas, and gammas, and all sorts of people. Uh, and so the alphas and betas they're uh, only allowed to mix with each other. They're not allowed to mix with the Gammas. And it it really shows what kind of society is possible if, if you don't be careful. One of the great things about the book is it's kind of told through the perspective of a few different characters. It's told through Bernard Marx, who is Karl Marx, <laughs> uh, uh, his girlfriend, lena who, Vladimir Lenin. And she's she's an interesting one because... The most interesting character on this book is John the Savage. John the Savage is a white person who was raised on a uh, Native American reservation. And they basically people go to these Native American reservations and look at the natives like they're zoo creatures. They're backwards. They're uncivilized. And so John the Savage grew up amongst them and read things like he, he had this compendium of Shakespeare, all Shakespeare's greatest works. It became basically his Bible. And so he had a very Western modern day, our modern day individualist upbringing and in his education. And when he gets out into this world, he is incomplete. He's completely horrified on what it is and what's happened. And the, the ending of it will really surprise you. It's a book I highly
0: recommend. Yeah. And I mean, it really kind of correlates with this topic of socialism that we continue talking about. Um, kind of like the book and socialism, is supposed to be this idea of a utopia, um, a society that's better and greater than the society that we currently live in. And in reality, when you take out morals, when you take out freedom, you know, capitalism out of a society, you get a, you know, for lack of better terms, a degenerate society that is solely based upon pleasure stimuli and uh, everything else besides what actually matters. You know, human flourishing. Freedom, competition. The, I think the greatest thing about the book is that it really shows that when you get
1: to when you get to this level of society, society itself becomes meaningless, and everything you do becomes meaningless. It is a society with no purpose, and that's why anytime anyone does something purposeful, they are shamed and they feel guilty. The one of the problems is, Lena is actually attracted to John the Savage, and John the Savage refuses to have sex with her because he's not married and he sees it as immoral. It drives her completely insane. Uh, and she it's something that she actually has to learn to cope with. And I'm not going to spoil it, but it doesn't turn out well. Um, people go on drugs. They go on these on this drug called Soma. And they go on these Soma trips, which they will p- just take a pill and knock themselves out for a couple days. And it's just always make them feel good. The religious services in which they praise Ford it is uh, they have these rituals and things that have no meaning at all. And literally, the the book makes a point to show how pointless they are. And this is what it comes down to. When society has no purpose and is pointless, it has no reason to exist. And this society has no reason to exist.
0: It's really deep, John. Thank you for the very clear and uh, constructive um, book review. And I hope you guys got something from this very special episode of Liberty Talks podcast. Uh, And thank you for watching. And that was it tonight. Our podcast tonight was brought to you by our music contributor, Franco Luciano. I also want to let everybody know that you can find Liberty Talks podcast now on Apple Podcast, on Google and Spotify. Yes, we've expanded here at Liberty Talks where you can find our podcast at most of the mainstream podcast hosts. So please check it out. Spread the word and continue listening to Liberty Talks podcast every single week.